House podcast. I'm Michelle, the founder of Holisticism and your 12th house tour guide. Happy that you're joining us today. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Samara Kasai of Kasai Thrive about building an anti-capitalist business or rather using anti-capitalist values to build an intuitive business. When we told our North Node community members, we let them in because they're VIPs, very intuitive people, that we were starting a podcast. We asked, what do you want to hear about? What do you want to know more about? And across the board, we heard questions, (laughs) very charged questions about building an anti-capitalist business and how you can, as an intuitive person, as an empathic person, a thoughtful person, be okay or justify being a business owner in a world of capitalism where capitalism tends to be and perpetuate oppression and extraction and destruction. <laughs> and it, and is very, it has a lot of negative connotations because it, it does a lot of harm. And it's a really good question because why would we want to perpetuate that? We don't. Ideally, we get into business, especially intuitive business, knowing that we have to exist within a capitalist structure because that's how the world works right now. And we can break that structure from the inside out. And we also can create our own rules when it comes to our work and how we show up. And we have the most freedom when we're able to do that for ourselves. So this conversation with Samara was for both of us an exploration of how we use anti-capitalist values in our business and what we're still working through as two entrepreneurs who are super intuitive. Samara is so brilliant, so funny and wise and intuitive. And I know you're going to love everything they have to say. We talk about how we both had our breakthroughs with deciding to be entrepreneurs. We talk about our money mindsets and the sort of threshold that pushed us past our own limiting beliefs around money and asked us to level up. We talk about having anti-capitalist values in our business and what that means and what that actually looks like in reality. We also talk about some of the problematic language that comes up in the spiritual and wellness world when spiritual leaders attribute next level wellness to wealth. And when we conflate wealth with evolution or a higher level of spirituality. And finally, Samara ends with a super hot take on SMART goals. So if you feel like SMART goals are your nemesis and fast forward to the end, I think you're really going to like that part of the episode. But before we dive into my conversation with Samara, I want to give a shout out to our celestial celebrities of the month. So this month we're talking about Scorpios because hello, it's Scorpio season. Welcome. Hello, darkness, my old friend. As a Scorpio moon, I feel like I can say that. And I also feel like I can say Scorpios are the best sign. That's it. I'm just saying it. Like that is again, a hot take, an unpopular opinion, but I believe it fully and truly with all of my heart. Scorpios are misunderstood and they're punk rock and I love them. So some famous Scorpios that you might not know are Scorpios. Pablo Picasso, Hillary Clinton. I mean, I feel like I can see it now. Julia Roberts, Matthew McConaughey, Whoopi Goldberg, Marie Antoinette. Okay. Leo DiCaprio, which I totally see. Ryan Gosling. I mean, come on, please. We all saw him in drive. And the Pines, come on, big Scorpio energy right there. And then finally, wild card, Katy Perry. But I see the darkness in her. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. What 
do all these people have in common other than being celebrities? They're all amazing artists and creative geniuses in their own ways. And that is an attribute of Scorpios. Scorpios are a water sign. They're a fixed water sign. So you might be surprised to hear that, especially also because they can be so explosive and passionate. But remember, water, like a tsunami or a tidal wave of water is powerful, like destructive power, right? Water isn't just all like loosey-goosey Pisces cancer energy. It can be a deluge. And that is mad Scorpio energy there. So Scorpio also is like the sign of the shadow, the shadow self, because those waters are deep, 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 right? Fixed Scorpio waters. If you're not prepared to like dive all the way down into the bottom in through the dark, then you you might just drown in a Scorpio. So Scorpios have this depth to them and they're also highly intuitive despite the fact that they may not be all hashtag love and light, your typical type of mystical spiritual person. They have the depth and the dark to them. And actually that's really what most people who understand magic and intuition and mysticism know that we've got to have the light with the dark. And Scorpios embody that. Scorpios are also highly emotional because water sign. Again, I'm allowed to say this because I have Scorpio moon. And that makes sense for these incredible artists to channel their feelings, their feelings that are so, so, so bone deep into the work that they do. And another thing that I notice about all these celebrities is that, and, and famous people, historic people, is that while they were famous, they have their time away from the spotlight where they go internal. They sort of like hide away from the world. Even I feel like Marie Antoinette made her home on the, (laughs) her peasant house on the lands around Versailles as her escape, where she wouldn't be seen by the court, where she could go pretend to be a peasant living in a little cottage, which is so adorable and a little tone deaf, but hidden away cloistered away from the crowds of the court. And that's something that's so, so, so very Scorpio to me of like, sometimes I'm here to be seen and I want to have power and I want to take up space, but I want it to be on my own terms. So if you're a Scorpio, happy birthday, you're in good company and I love you. (laughs) And if you're not a Scorpio, I hope that this celestial celebrity download helped you understand a little bit more about Scorpios and maybe see them in the world in a different way. Oh, also don't fuck with a Scorpio. Don't cross them. Once you get down into our hearts and you sort of wiggle your way in, you're there for life. But if you fuck shit up or you lie or you don't keep your word, then you are cut out of the will. You're you're burned out. You don't exist anymore. So make sure that you always stay right with Scorpios and tell the truth. And I think that's it. So let's get into the episode with Samara and we'll go. Hi, Samara. Hi, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Can you tell everyone a little bit, like, I like the term elevator pitch, like your 30 second who you are and what you do and what you're all about. Yes, I can I can totally try. So I'm Sarah. <laughs> I take they them pronouns and I have a platform called Kasai Thrive. So my middle name is Kasai and I figured that would be a cute little name. But I am an anti-oppression practitioner. So 
I use tools like tarot and breathwork to help people work through the specific ways that oppression is showing up in their life. We met through the internet. Thank the goddess for the internet. Mm -hmm. And you taught an amazing tarot class for the holisticism community in July, I think. And we kind of like were rallying around the idea of anti-capitalism. And I know we've both been exploring that and running intuitive businesses. So I wanted to just get you on the line to have a conversation about that. Because I think that when people think of intuitive business, there's often a conflation with like abundance mindset, abundance versus scarcity mindset, manifestation, prosperity, all these sort of like buzzwords that we hear that really are just kind of like mm, hiding wealth and accumulation. Mm -hmm. So how did you justify for yourself? And you know, you've been working through this really publicly on Instagram and via email. How did you justify for yourself wanting to start a business and making money when capitalism is so corrupt and contributes to oppression as an anti-oppression educator? Yeah. Oh my God. So I started my business honestly because I hated the ways that I was making money before. I had a bunch of jobs that I really didn't like, jobs from working at like a Fortune 5 company, like selling my soul and taking the wrong pronouns and doing all of that. And also just like swinging in the opposite direction, being super like ground level, like knocking on people's doors to talk to them about gentrification. And I was unfulfilled on both extremes and I was kind of in this place where I was like, I need to have money so that I can like function. Like that is the currency with which we operate. And right. Right. to be a, a human on the planet, you need, you need to have money, unfortunately, <laughs> right. like, in some way. Right. Like that's just the world that we're in, at least for the time being. And so I was like, how can I have money? in a way that doesn't require me to like give up a part of myself every day or spend 15 hours getting the door slammed in my face by strangers. So <laughs> yeah, that's how we got here. That's how I started the business. And I never really started to think about the implications of like now becoming like quote unquote a CEO with a business until it was happening and until my business started actually like generating revenue that was sustainable. And one of the things that really helped me was recognizing that like with my business at the very least I interact with human beings on a day-to-day -day basis and give them things that they actually need give them things that are going to enrich their lives and when people exchange money for things that they actually need it just reinforces that the money that they're getting in their lives is actually going to support them in becoming the person that they incarnated to be rather than you know, manipulating people into spending money on things that like isn't going to help them and is only going to help grow a corporation and destroy the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's what gets really confusing for people because it's really hard. I think it's confusing to divorce the idea that we're used to binaries. Let me backtrack. Mm -hmm. We're just used to binaries. Mm -hmm. Like that's how we live and how we've lived up until this point. I think we're getting closer to the idea that like, oh, maybe everything isn't either <laughs> or. Maybe it's not all black or white. Money isn't good or bad. It's not evil or virtuous. It is all things. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on whose hands it's in. But to your point around being a CEO, do you find... I sometimes struggle with using that word, even though I definitely would, I like identify as a CEO because people like Jeff Bezos are CEOs, you know, and they're like 
to just like, I would say like objectively bad people who are not doing great things for the planet or for other human beings. And do you ever like get a little bit of a shudder when you're taking on that moniker? Yeah, I think I've only called myself a CEO one time and it was just now, like to be honest. <laughs> We're trying it out. <laughs> We're seeing how it feels. Well, how did it feel? Yeah. How did it feel? Yeah. I mean, I think the term CEO for me brings up so much and I'm really feeling on the line of like leaning into it and like reclaiming that term as something that like anyone can embody. Like it's not like yeah. Jeff Bezos owns the term CEO any more mm-hmm. than we do but also recognizing that like that comes with having to identify with the group of people who we are actively trying to work against you know so mm-hmm. it's kind of it reminds me of when I was in grad school and realizing like okay I do not actually agree with the institution of academia but I am very much in the institution of academia and like deciding how to deal with that you know right and recognizing, and it feels like an adjacent conversation to anti-oppression work or to the idea of oppression and that we're existing within a structure and contributing to keep upholding a structure that we're actively trying to dismantle Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we exist, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and same thing, I mean, in academia, it sounds like your experience there was similar to mine in tech Mm -hmm. of, do I really want to contribute as a female founder to what is happening here? (laughs) Or do I just want to like completely divest from it and create my own system? And you're, you're not working in academia anymore. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're (laughs) kind of down to divest. (laughs) Yeah, definitely divesting at this point. (laughs) When you describe anti-capitalism or I guess like how do you think, what's your definition of an anti-capitalist business? Because those two words might to some people be really contrary. Yes. So I think about anti-capitalist business for me, at least I think about the ways in which my business actually operates like on the ground, because with capitalism, the like straightest definition of capitalism is just private ownership of the way that things are like produced and bought and sold. I am a person. I do own basically everything that happens in my business. And so my business, I wouldn't say it's an anti-capitalist entity because it does exist within capitalism. My business operates on anti-capitalist values. And the way that I think about that is I don't feel the need to accumulate and accumulate for the sake of accumulation. I take Mm. conscious steps to determine how I'm going to price my offers and I'm consistently adjusting to see how I can meet the people that I'm here to help where they are rather than manipulating them into like say stretching into a price that is not actually going to serve them this time or manipulating them into like booking sessions or buying offers when at this point what they need to do is go journal or go take a walk around the block like actually seeing people and finding a way to guide them to what I believe they actually need rather than trying to funnel them I guess into what I would prefer them do, you know? Well, it sounds like you wouldn't even prefer them do that. That is true. That's just (laughs) the thing that gets you paid. And Mm -hmm. like, I love that you made the differentiation between being an anti-capitalist business versus holding anti-capitalist values, because to your point, 
we exist within capitalism. That's the structure that we have to play within. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, when we completely divest from capitalism, then we're basically saying like, I'm not going to operate in this society. And there's a lot of work that we can do that's really good work by being involved. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think we necessarily have the privilege of just tapping out (laughs) and like living in an ashram or something and not having money. But it sounds like holding anti-capitalist values is deprioritizing individuation or the individual and reprioritizing the communal Mm -hmm. and what's good for all of us as opposed to what's good for someone's singular bank account. And when that happens, we have regeneration as opposed to extractive practices, which is what capitalism effectively has turned into now. Mm -hmm. I feel like in theory, capitalism might work, but it's become a machine that operates on accumulation, oppression, and extraction Mm -hmm. and destroys pretty much everything in its path. Whereas the opposite of that would be, how can I think more communally? How can I reinvest and be regenerative? Can I? How can I bring more life or more newness into the world with what I do and who I help? I love that. I love the idea of bringing, bringing newness into the world with what I do because one of my favorite things about having a business is that I'm creating things that like, as far as I know, they don't exist or they don't exist in a way that's been accessible to me in the past. And so to be able to actively be using my brain to create the things that really would have served me or that serve people like me is a way that I bring a lot of newness into the world. And I love seeing people do that through businesses. And I have trouble thinking of like other instances where that becomes such a driving force of like what you do every day is like you get up and you create stuff that doesn't exist and you give it to people, you know? Yeah. It's like such a baller move, you know, like, uh, we, we are, are, are one of our working taglines for this podcast is a space for intuitive innovators, because I really feel that's what business owners and artists are. They're just innovating and creating new things in the world. And that's like, that's the coolest. That's the super light, amazing version of being an entrepreneur is when you get to make new things and experiment and explore and do it for good and do it to help other people. But There's so much that we get caught up in that prevents us sometimes from being able to do that. So for you, how did you ovary up and decide that you wanted to start a business, you know, because I think that these are really, you're obviously an incredibly thoughtful, extremely intelligent, highly intuitive person. And you know, all of the like pitfalls of capitalism and entrepreneurship. How are you like, no, I I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think the biggest thing for me, so going back to like being super unfulfilled when I was doing all the anti-gentrification work. And at that time, I was making like just enough to cover everything that I needed to live, but not really more than that. Like I wasn't really able to save that much. There was definitely a time I had $7 in my bank account. I remember that like specifically. And feeling like first of all like this is not for me like I cannot sustain my life this way and I'm not actually able to help anyone by being in this situation where I have seven dollars like I can't even barely help myself and I knew Mm -hmm. that I like wanted to be a person who had a bigger impact on the world than like 
did I knock on this person's door and did they answer me today? You know? So it just really was like a lot about my personality. I am a double Leo. I was like, I do not have enough of a spotlight right now. I am <laughs> You're like, put me on a stage. Damn it. Right. Basically. Um, and so I was really just like, I don't want to climb through the whole nonprofit world, which is a whole nother like beast. Well, that's another racket, and, dude. Exactly. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pick which kind of like, racket I want to be a part of and at least in this one I get to have a lot more control and Mm -hmm. again like for my personality I like to be like in control of things and I have a lot more of a say on like my own message like what I actually get to show up and say to people when they like raise Mm -hmm. their hand and listen to me rather than feeling like everything I'm saying is kind of being filtered through whatever organization I'm with so it just really suited my personality a lot more Yeah, I get that. I remember working at my tech job. That was a great job. That actually was a, in terms of tech companies, a relatively good company that gave back and had a social mission. And just like, I felt so lucky. And I also would go and sit at my desk and be like, I'm wasting my life. Like, this is a waste of my life to be sitting here writing lead generation about your digestive tract. Like, mm-hmm. this is not how, like, this is not what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, that I'm supposed to be here to change the world in some gigantic way, but that way certainly wasn't it. And it felt like anything could be better than that. And also I wasn't, I mean, not that money is the most important thing, but I wasn't even getting paid that well to do that, to like, you know, kind of sell my soul or mm-hmm. to, to be middling. Mm-hmm. I wonder like, I don't know about you, but the highest salary I ever made was like Mm $65,000. And I, again, I thought I was like rolling in it at that Mm -hmm. time. And I remember being like, I wonder if I'm ever going to (laughs) make, I wonder if I'm ever going to make more money than this. Mm -hmm. And I was walking with someone who I had worked with and they had a very similar job to me and they, I maybe didn't have as much output as I had because that's what we measure in capitalism. I found out that they made like 30 grand more than I did. And that broke my brain. That was like when I realized that money was a like a crazy weird thing that I would have to get to know better. Did you ha- ever have, like, what was your threshold moment where you're like, oh, I need to figure this shit out and like uh, get to know it in a different way than I know it now? I had a really similar situation to you where I was actually living with someone who worked at the same job I had when we were like in anti-gentrification land. And I found out that she was actually making double what I was making, (gasps) even though we started like at the same time and everything. And like, it was just, it was a lot because it was like, our boss knew that we lived together. Obviously this probably would have come up. And I was like, how did you not, talk to yeah. us or talk to us transparently or like whatever and it just first honestly I went into this whole like imposter syndrome of feeling like oh well like she's older than me and probably has more experience and like I don't really know if we got offered the same thing and then she negotiated and like I don't want to make conclusions but like it just feels like for some reason like she is doing something I'm not doing and like was trying mm-hmm. to justify it that way and this was kind of towards the end of when I was like, I don't think I want to keep being employed because I was like, I don't want to have to <laughs> go and do like mental gymnastics every time I find out that someone's doing the same thing I'm doing and like getting yeah. more money for whatever reason. I also, when I was at my the corporate job, I 
found out that like my bonus was cut because I was like unprofessional, quote unquote. Which to be fair, I am sitting here in a t-shirt right now on this. Um, what even is professional <laughs> though? Like I that know. is such a gatekeeping bu- garbage term that like people will just throw at you to not pay you something, right? Mm-hmm. Or to not hire you. It's mm-hmm. like who made those rules? Yeah. So I was well, just like we know who made we- those rules, but <laughs> the devil. The devil made those rules. <laughs> white cis dudes (laughs) so yeah and I was just like reflecting on like that experience and this other experience I had in my corporate job and I was like the only way to make this not continue happening is to just figure out like who are the people that actually value me how can I communicate Mm -hmm. that value to them and then just like set up the exchange that way without having to go through all of these other avenues yeah that's like realizing that you actually don't need to convince people of your value. There are people who will refuse to see you and will refuse to see your value. And that's okay. Like it kind of sucks, but you don't have to bargain with those people. Like you don't actually have to do business with them. And I think that can become really problematic if you work and live in an industry where people constantly do not see you and do not see your value. And it can be really demoralizing. And that's why so many entrepreneurs are like, no, I've got a brilliant idea. And I doesn't matter if you don't see it, like I see it. And, mm-hmm. and I believe in myself and I'm the best investment. Investing in myself is the best thing I ever did. It was the scariest thing I ever did. I had like no money and I gave myself two months to make holisticism work and it ended up working out. But when I think that there's some sort of magic that comes when you're like, you know what, I'm going to stop trying to please everyone. And I'm just going to speak to the people who I'm meant to be here for. How did you find people who saw you? Honestly, it has been a consistent like adjustment over time. I think Mm -hmm. for me being seen has become so much more nuanced now that I'm like navigating my gender identity on top of like wanting to be seen for like my spiritual gifts and wanting to be seen for my like political values and all of that. So it's really just been like trying to talk a lot explicitly about all of those things in public. (laughs) And if people stick around, then I assume that they see me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I get that. I mean, I don't get all of it, but I, I can relate to being a multidimensional person, right. And not wanting to be, just one thing and seen mm-hmm. as just one thing, wanting to hold lots of different identities. Like I want to be spiritual. I want to be intellectual. I want to be fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I want to be crass sometimes. And I also can be really polite and pulled together and quote unquote professional. And I want all of those things to coexist in this body and beyond. And hopefully people can, can like, you know, five out of six of those qualities in me and be cool with it mm-hmm. and see those things. Yeah. <laughs> And I think for me, because I do a lot of one-on-one work, it just becomes like more challenging for me to be on Zoom with people who I don't feel see me and feeling Mm. like I'm doing this, like either because these are the people that are willing to pay me. And so I should be grateful and like having those conversations with myself and having to like continue decapitalizing my mind and like Mm. realizing that I don't have to abandon parts of myself in exchange for money even within my own business. Yeah. And I think that that message of you don't have to abandon yourself in order to get what you want and gets a bit like misconstrued in Mm -hmm. maybe the manifestation space Mm -hmm. of 
settling or getting tested with ideas or beliefs or experiences and being in self-worth. And I think that obviously knowing your worth is really, really important, kind of like what we've been talking about here. But I think that there's like this actually really dangerous sort of cycle of beliefs that if you are able to get wealth, then you're spiritually superior because you've quote unquote figured out how to manifest it. And that can be really, really dangerous. Not in, I mean, what do you think about that? There are a lot of spiritual leaders who are making like buku cash. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe you're like using that as street cred for how powerful they are. Like, does that, how does that strike you? Because it like kind of makes me feel a bit weird in my stomach. Yeah, I think it's really dangerous. I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day, and we were basically just talking about how a lot of these leaders they use their wealth, like you were saying, as evidence for how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. They have to ignore the fact that capitalism exists in order to like build that argument. They can't build that argument in a social context. And so all it does is erase the existence of racist algorithms, erase the existence of the fact that we all have these biases where if we see people that we identify with, we are going to gravitate towards them. And so as I like talk so much about in decolonize the tarot, like that's why all tarot cards can't have white people on them because right. people have these biases and they're like evolutionarily sound or whatever, but they contribute to the success of white people, the success of people who have the privilege of identifying with the gender binary or whatever have you. And the ability to attract clients is not a manifestation. It's a combination of like you having privilege and you having a good strategy at that point, unless you're willing to acknowledge like what else might be going on. Totally. Yeah, totally. And like, and there, that's not to say, I don't think that there isn't magic and there isn't energy that's involved in bringing in the right clients and being, making sure that your message is communicated to the right people and the right people see you and hear you. But to blindly invest your, or, uh, you know, back up your success, quote unquote success with something that you've manifested seems a little bit tone deaf. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that like, you know, the work that might be done in order to quote unquote manifest isn't helpful. I think doing things like shadow work and knowing yourself and working on yourself is all really important because it helps whittle down who you are mm -hmm. and it helps you clearly communicate who you are to the world. So like, cool. We're super big fans of that. But to say that you're ascended or that you're on another dimension because you can attract lots of money, quote unquote, attract lots of money to you is like, I don't think that's right. Yeah. I think that the point that the point, your point that it ignores that capitalism exists is really harmful. So how do we like justify that? Or I guess not justify, but like live with that idea. And also the idea that like we need to make money. And if we're good at our jobs, we're probably making a significant amount of money and that we can do that while being holding anti-capitalist values. Like how do we sort of like figure out the difference between these two ideas that we're holding in front of us? Ooh, okay. I think for, as far as the... the we need to make money thing and like not because it seems like what I'm seeing is there's like a loop of I'm using the amount of money I have to justify why people should work with me or why I am totally kind of it's like, like the 
I've got this amazing house in Malibu and like mm-hmm. I make, I have a million dollar mindset mm-hmm. and I am next level. So trust me, mm-hmm. I'm your guru. Right. And so it becomes like people feeling trapped, like, okay, well, I can't ever have a successful business because I don't already have a successful business. And it just creates mm-hmm. this like feedback loop. And of course you can measure success however you want to. I personally don't really use like how much money I've accumulated to measure like the success of my business. But I know that a lot of people do. And I think to your question of like, how do we hold both things at once? For me, the way that I kind of reinforce my own business and my own capabilities is just remembering that my skills do speak for themselves. Like what Mm -hmm. I offer, like substantially, regardless of the amount of money that I have, the changes I provide for people speak for themselves. And that's what allows people to come to me rather than feeling like, like for a long time, I didn't even want to tell people how much money my business was making. And I think that's like Mm -hmm. a deeper sense of like wealth shaming and all of that. But feeling like my business making a lot of money is not going to be the reason that the clients I want to work with are attracted to me. Yes, that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head, right? That's a symptom of people Mm -hmm. working with you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the reason people work with you, Mm -hmm. uh, the evidence that that people should use to work with you. Mm -hmm. It just is what naturally happens. Do you still feel wealth shamed when you talk about how much your business makes? So it's funny because I've never been wealth shamed. Like no one has ever (laughs) shamed me. Just in my mind, I've wealth shamed myself. (laughs) Basically, yeah. It's all just been me me arguing with me. (laughs) I get that. (laughs) So do you still struggle with that? Is that something that you're working through right now? I think that was probably the chapter I just closed. And it's really come a lot from like my deepening my connection with my ancestors and trying to like put the whole trajectory of how wealth and exchange and all of that looks like for my family and realizing Mm. there is a lot to be rectified as far as like generations of free labor that my ancestors did to like create and uphold this country that is now oppressing us all here and just Mm. realizing that like And of course, I know that this is not helpful for everyone. It's really only helpful for you if your ancestors were enslaved. For me, at least aspiring to have enough to create the life and contribute to the world that I want to see, that doesn't hurt anyone. And it actually really helps redeem a lot of what happened to my ancestors. And so that's how I've been like, I guess, soothing myself. That's really beautiful. I think that often I noticed for myself, I'll speak from the eye, Mm -hmm. that it's really, it's really challenging for me. The last step usually when I'm working through something is figuring out how I, why, like I am just worthy of it. Mm -hmm. And something that I often do is think about how I can help other people Mm -hmm. and how like what I, my actions can serve others. Mm -hmm. And that sort of like gives me the bravery or like the gas, the fuel in my tank to like go Mm -hmm. just because like, I'm a slow learner. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard for me to change. And it's Mm -hmm. like hard for me to wrap my head around that. Like I deserve to be taken care of and resourced. And sometimes it's, I need to find an excuse or, or like maybe codependent perspective of like, well, if I make 
X amount of dollars, then I can hire X number of people and mm-hmm. I can pay for their healthcare and I can give them, I can pay them really well and I can have them work from home and I can support their families. And like, that's really cool. So that can sort of be my thing that I put on a post-it note on my wall mm-hmm. and work towards while I'm also working through why it's just okay if I want to do that myself. And yeah, it just reminds me that like this journey is not straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think we do live in a world that tells us that like, we are not supposed to want things just because we want them. Like there has to be, at least for like more justice oriented people, like the whole martyr complex of feeling like everything you have has to be in contribution to a community or to something outside of like just you personally. So I'm also just like every day looking for the martyr complex within myself and trying to like soothe it in one way or another. That's so smart. Yeah. That archetype comes up that and the caregiver archetype are Mm -hmm. so common, especially in the well-being and wellness world Mm -hmm. where, because that's what we're here to do, right? We're like here to help other people and heal other people and, or help them heal themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy to take that on and live there of like, well, I'm just here to help other people. So like, why do I need anything? Mm-hmm. When in reality, you said it at the very top, like we need to be resourced to take care of ourselves. Cause if I only have $7 to my name, how can I think beyond, well, how am I going to pay my rent or how right. am I going to afford to make dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. We can't fully embody that creative, innovative, exciting, intuitive place because we're just trying to survive. And that can be really limiting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This will be our last thing. What's your favorite unpopular opinion that you've got right now? It can be on anything, but like that you're just like, oh, let me, let me tell you what's up for me. Honestly, my unpopular opinion is about goal setting and I will Ooh, I yes. will walk it around, I promise. It will all make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the world of at least having a business or healing or anything, we kind of look outside of ourselves for like what are the milestones I'm supposed to be reaching for? Like when can I call myself successful or call myself good enough or when will I know that I've healed this thing? And I recently went through an exercise of looking back at the goals I set at the end of 2019, just to like reinvigorate myself for like this last home stretch of 2020. And all Mm -hmm. the goals I set were like how I want to feel in my relationship, how I want Mm -hmm. to feel in my relationship with money. And all of these things, they're not, you know, smart goals. They're not like measurable, whatever. I don't even specific measurable I don't know. I don't know. Honest. I also have an aversion <laughs> to smart goals. So you are <laughs> preaching to the choir, my friend. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really just like, I can look back and say, like, I know how I felt then and I know how I feel now. And I can see myself, you know, evolving. And it doesn't have to be like, unless I've done exactly what that other person said I should do, then I'm not, you know, working hard enough or I'm not ambitious enough. And when we live in this world of like, you know, glorifying ambition and drive and like high achievement. Sometimes it's nice to just think about like, how do I want to be feeling next year? You know? Totally. You're making me remember that my goal for this year around money was to feel like I was resting on top of clouds. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was like how I described it to my partner. And he was like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like, you know, I want it to be like comfy, cozy. I want it to be supported, but not like overbearing. I don't want it to be like all too, too much. I want it to just be like sort of amorphous and just, I know that there's something underneath me catching me. And I feel like, I feel like thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Cause it made me reflect back on that. I'm like, I think I did it. I think I did it. Cool. That's great. Go. I love it. <laughs> as long as you can see your clouds, Michelle, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's like the most Piscean thing ever. <laughs> Before we go, we do one final segment where we ask our guest or our expert, which is obviously you, our expert guest, genius, <laughs> dream person, what they're screenshotting for the week. So like what you're saving, what you saved to either your like your list of things that you want to try or what you're obsessed with or what you're taking a screenshot of and sending to all your friends and being like, oh my God, you have to try this thing. Ooh. I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> so I recently have been sharing, this is like so unrelated to everything we talked about, but I recently saw this meme going around about COVID and just like feeling like all of the hand sanitizer everywhere is making the whole world smell like underage drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Everclear for everyone. (laughs) And so I've been sending that to like everyone I know. And (laughs) don't try underage drinking though. That's not what you, that's not the takeaway here. Um. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the hot take. The hot take is. (laughs) Uh, Wear your mask, everyone. (laughs) Wear wear your damn masks. Stay inside or be outside if you're going to see people Mm -hmm. and take care of each other, prioritize community. I think that is another excellent example of what happens when we prioritize the individual versus the community Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. anti-capitalist values could be really helpful to us as a society right now. So you, you don't need to like drain your bank account and disown business in general Mm -hmm. and move to the woods, Mm -hmm. you can just take small steps and reframe your thinking around the actions that you take in your business. How can these contribute more to the collective? Mm -hmm. How can what I do actually be useful and generative to other people as opposed to extractive? And are my practices accumulating just more for me or Am I doing something beyond hoarding? <laughs> <laughs> yes, circulating, circulating. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Cool, mm-hmm. Samara. This was so lovely. It was so great to get to talk to you about these ideas. I feel like we should just put on the calendar in six months that we talk again about this because I know like we'll probably both have a lot of new thoughts and ideas. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And hopefully like six months from now, COVID will be like different and not gone (laughs) I think that will just do a lot for the way everyone thinks about money and like people having to go back to offices and so yeah I I love it (laughs) yeah upvoting both of those things please (laughs) Samara how can people find you on the internet and beyond well I have a website called kasaithrive.com and I'm sure Michelle you're gonna like spell that for people you got it it'll be in the show notes my friends amazing and then (laughs) Instagram is the same kasaithrive and that's all I do there we go (laughs) (laughs) awesome well it was so great to talk to you thanks for sitting with us and thanks everyone for listening we'll see you on the internet bye